Well, hey, good morning, Philippi Church. Um, thanks so much for tuning in this morning. I know normally you guys would be watching the live stream right now, um, but we are actually doing an outdoor service uh, over at one of our families, the Whitney's house. And so rather than do the live stream outside and try to figure out all that technicalities, I just thought I would pre-record this sermon for you guys so that you can still tune in for those of you that aren't able to make it this Sunday. So if you are with us, grab your Bibles. We're going to be jumping all over the place this morning discussing the topic of envy. I'm going to pray really quick and then we'll get right into it. So Father, this morning, uh, I just pray, God, that you would work uh, in and through the power of your word. God, as we open up your word and we ask uh, questions, Lord, about our own human emotions and how we are to interact with them and how we are to interface with them, God, would you lead us and guide us in wisdom? Holy Spirit, would you come right now into this place and into each of the homes and each of the places that this is being watched, God? And would you interact with us, Lord? Would you lead us and guide us? Would you give us wisdom, Father? Lead us in all righteousness. Help us to understand, Lord, uh, our own complex and complicated set of human emotions. Help us to know how to sift them and to harness them, Lord, and to conform them to your ultimate truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it's interesting sometimes how the things that are sometimes the least culturally unacceptable um, or the least seemingly threatening can do the most damage to us over time. You know, one example I think of is in the 1950s, smoking was actually not considered a bad thing for you. They didn't really know yet that it was actually going to probably kill you from lung cancer. So in the 1950s, there's, there's ads um, quoting doctors literally saying even pregnant women and children, uh, it was okay to smoke. In fact, some doctors even recommended that smoking would maybe be good for you, could help your health in some way. And so people did it. And you watch movies from the 1950s and they're just, you know, sucking down cigarettes left and right. And uh, the, you know, 20, 30, fast forward 20, 30 years, people like John Wayne and all these other actors, man, they were all getting cancer. Sometimes the things uh, that we don't really think are making a big impact on us, the things that are sort of just the daily rhythms are actually sucking the life out of us slowly in ways that we don't even realize. You know, for most of my life, I, for example, I used to just eat whatever I wanted. I thought, hey, you know, uh, I'm just going to eat the food that I like. And I never realized how much what I ate was affecting the way that I felt until I stopped eating that food and started eating differently. Uh, and then I realized, like, holy cow, I, I feel way better. I mean, I started eating good. I started feeling all this clarity. And now I know when I feel bad, it's probably because of something I ate. What I'm kind of getting at here is I think that there's a sin uh, that runs in the background and in the foreground in many ways of many believers' lives, and it doesn't often get addressed in the church. It doesn't often get brought up. It seems like sort of a harmless sin, one of the kind of sins that's very culturally acceptable, not only in, in America, but even within Christian uh, Christianity and Christendom. We just don't really think of it as being that big of a deal. Um, yet, I actually think, in many ways, it is a severe enemy of our joy, and that emotion is envy. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Solomon said that envy is the master of all human actions. Interestingly, he said in Ecclesiastes 4.4, 4, he said, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. That's so interesting. Solomon, now, of course, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. He's being very pessimistic here. Uh, but he sees envy, this desire or this want for something that is not yours, 
The desire for the word, the M word, more, is actually the driving force behind much of what people do in the world. This same man, Solomon, in Proverbs 14.30, he says the following words, and this is going to be kind of our key verse for this entire sermon. He says these words, listen, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So Solomon, who ironically was the man that really had it all, uh, even Solomon, he more than anybody else, he had this understanding that envy and covetousness and lust and greed and desire and discontent and all these things, they were ultimately corrosive to the bones. That a healthy heart was like, like a, uh, he says, a heart at peace gives life to your whole body. Yet on the other side of the coin, envy, covetousness actually uh, rots your bones from the inside out. This is strong language. The most uh, distressing moments in life, as you probably know, are the moments where you get exactly what you wanted. I just have so many memories as a kid of, of having this thing that I just couldn't stop thinking about. I just wanted that. It was a toy, it was an experience, it was a trip, it was Christmas day, and then it would come, I would get it. And, and I'd have this just real quick moment of excitement, which was immediately followed by this deep sadness that overcame me because I realized that I wasn't as happy as I thought it was going to be. So I had to make a decision in that moment. Either I'm going to uh, just wallow in despair or I'm going to set my sights on another thing. So there's always next Christmas. There's always the bigger toy. There's always more money. There's always the next thing. I can still remember, you know, it's 17 years old and I was setting up my Gmail account and it asked me for, uh, you know, some kind of a, a hint from my password. It said, what's your dream job? And I remember putting worship leader. If I could just be a full-time worship leader, that would be the best. And within a year, I was a full-time worship leader and it wasn't enough. And then I, I really wanted to set my sights on becoming a pastor. I just really want to become a pastor. Then I became a pastor. And it still wasn't really enough. So then I thought, well, maybe I'll go plant a church. Maybe I need to be a lead pastor. You know, then that'll really satisfy me. I'll really feel like I'm living up to something for the Lord. Well, here I am. And the, and the amazing thing is I don't feel any different. The reality as humans is that we chase, we chase, we chase more and more and more. And with Solomon, who, um, if anyone can say this, it's him because he really had everything. Um, he is saying that this envy, this desire for more, it just rots at your bones. Solomon also says in Proverbs 4.23, he says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, uh, pardon me, vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And this morning, what I want to call you to, I want to call us to, is to be believers who examine our life and examine our spiritual health and, and sort of ask like, like Solomon is here, and are we keeping our heart with all vigilance or are we allowing the rot of envy, the corrosiveness of envy, the decay of envy to actually steal our joy? My thesis for this morning is that a content and thankful heart is a headwaters of life and peace for both you and for others. The Lord wants us as Christians to be those that are content, that are satisfied, that are soul healthy, that aren't striving, constantly seeking for the next thing, always looking, like trying to scheming off, looking for the next possible opportunity to find joy. The Lord wants us to be grounded and content abiding, not a unquenchable desire for more, not unstable. He wants us to be saturated in contentment. 
So the question is, how do we become content? How do we avoid envy? What do we do with this emotion of envy? How do we think about this emotion of envy? And envy, I believe this morning, I want to make the case that envy is the enemy to the soul and it must be uprooted, redirected, and replaced. And that's going to be what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we are in a sermon series about emotional intelligence. So this has been great. It's an eight-week series. I think this is part five or six. I can't remember. And... In this series, we are taking some time to systematically look at some of the key emotions that we experience as human beings. Why are we talking about emotion? What does it matter? Why does emotion matter um, to the Christian? Well, it matters for a lot of reasons. Uh, Historically, Christians have really gotten emotions wrong, either on one side or the other. And now we've talked about this um, many times. Christians take emotion and unfortunately they are consumed by emotion. They let emotion rule them. Emotion is everything. It's all about emotion, feeling something, having an experience. Other Christians historically have suppressed emotion. Okay, so some are possessed by emotion. Others are suppressed uh, or suppressing emotion. In other words, emotion must be bad because it's uncontrollable, it's unpredictable, so emotion needs to go by the wayside. Now, as Christians, we're called to neither of those. As Christians, we are to become like our rabbi, Jesus Christ, the perfect human being. And Jesus, when we see him, we see a very emotional person. We see that he was emotional, yet not sinful. That he felt the full gamut of human emotion without ever sinning. He felt anger, but it was righteous anger. He felt sorrow. He felt sadness. I'm sure he felt anxiety and fear. We see different moments where Jesus is sweating drops of blood, where he's weeping massive tears, where he's frustrated, where he's anxious, where uh, all kinds of different emotions. And so as Christians, we are meant to be those who sift our emotions, who understand our emotions, and conform our emotions, and lastly, even harness our emotions in order to become more God-glorifying with our lives. This is our desire. Emotions were and are something that God gave you for the specific purpose of living the Imago Dei, to reflect His person. You see, God is an emotional God. God has emotion. Not only Jesus in His humanity, but God, even in His spirituality, is an emotional God. And so, when we are rightly living out emotion, we're actually glorifying him. It's just a beautiful reality. But of course, we need to understand the Genesis 3 reality, and that is that we live in a broken world. And what that means is that our emotions are not as they should be. Our emotions need to be redeemed. They need to be restored. They need to be fixed. So not every emotion that we have is actually godly. So as Christians, part of the sanctification process, the process of becoming like Christ, is to actually learn how to make our emotions godly. And that's the purpose of this teaching series. The intended outcome is that we desire to become a body of emotionally whole and emotionally healthy followers of Jesus that feel deeply in the ways that Jesus feels. Now, having said that, Let's spend this morning discussing the human emotion of envy slash jealousy or desire, covetousness, some of these emotions that we deal with as human beings. Here's our outline for this morning. I'm just going to ask two very basic questions and then I'll conclude with some advice, okay? Two very basic questions. The question we're going to ask first is how should we think about envy? The question we're going to ask secondly is 
What should we do with our envy? Okay, how should we think about envy? Number two, what should we do with our envy? And hopefully this is gonna be very practical for you. You may be listening right now and go, okay, yeah, uh, I was all about the anxiety one, all about the anger one, all about the fear one, all about the sadness one, but uh, envy, I just don't deal with that, okay? Uh, Yes, you do. Okay. Yes, you do. So don't tune out on me. This is probably far more practical than you could possibly imagine, particularly in the culture in which we live in. So let me try to give some definition to what I mean by envy uh, in particular. First of all, here's one definition from the interweb. Uh, it says, an emotion, envy is, an emotion which occurs uh, when a person lacks another's superior quality, achievement, or possession and either desires it or wishes that the other lacked it, okay? So envy sort of has to do with, I'm desiring something that someone else has, or I'm desiring that they not have the thing that they have. Uh, Now, we're doing this series on emotional intelligence, and there's a billion different emotions we could talk about. And so what we're kind of having to do is we're kind of having to corral some of them into the same pen because they're similar. So when I say envy, let me just explain that I'm really trying to represent a lot of different human emotions that are very similar. Let me put it this way. Envy is a quintuplet. Okay, it is one of five. Uh, there are, I believe, five and maybe more human emotions that are all really similar to envy. We're going to try to put them all in a basket and deal with them all because I think they all have the same root issue. So here are the five that envy envy falls in line with. Uh, Jealousy, coveting, discontentment, and lust, and then envy. I think all five of those are really kind of the same idea. Now, each of them have nuances, and I'm not going to go super far into that. You know, for example, jealousy, it has more to do with I don't want you to have what I perceive that is mine. Okay, uh, coveting is sort of just a general wanting something that is not mine. Envy has to do with something that someone else has in particular. Lust is kind of sort of this deep, like controlling desire for something that you do not have. Discontent just has to do with the fact that I don't know why I don't like what I have, but I want more. Okay, so, so these are all really kind of, they're identical twins, if you will. They're, they're synonyms. They all kind of mean the same thing. And we're going to put them all in one basket and kind of deal with them all at the same time. What does the Bible say about uh, the quintuplets, if you will, of envy, about, about these human emotions by which we desire something that we do not have? What does the Bible have to say about it? Actually, it has a lot to say, and we're going to look at a lot of passages this morning, so buckle up. And I'm not going to have you turn to them, so if you want to jot them down, that's great. Look at them later. Uh, The Bible has a lot to say about envy. It might surprise you that the Bible actually lists envy among some of the most egregious human sins, um, as we'll see here in a moment. Might surprise you that envy actually makes the Ten Commandment list, uh, also known as jealousy, okay? Uh, Tell me if this sounds familiar. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or his car or his smartphone or his social media or his body or his uh, career or whatever. Okay, you get the point. This is such a egregious sin. This is such a destructive, a corrosive, an erosive sin um, that... God literally puts it into the Ten Commandments. He's like, this is a really big deal. I want you to take this seriously. Fast forward to the New Covenant, 1 Peter 2, 1. Peter, the apostle, says, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and 
envy, and slander. He pops it right into that list. Uh, Paul in Galatians 5.22, when he gives the fruit of the Spirit, he contrasts the fruit of the Spirit by saying to put away conceit, provoking one another, envying one another. So the contrast is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is envy. In 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul gives the list of uh, true and perfect love, he says love does not envy. Okay, uh, love does not envy. In Romans chapter 13, verse 13, uh, Paul lists off some of the most egregious sins that you have been saved from. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousy. So that's a pretty pretty heavy hitting list of sins and he pops it right in there. It's a serious sin. God takes jealousy, envy, lust to these things. He takes them very seriously. Titus chapter three, verse one through three, he puts it in the list of the things that they used to do, the things that you used to do before a Christian. So it's not to be the behavior of a believer. Straightforward. That is the reality of it. The Bible also clearly depicts the results of envy. So what happens when we let envy into our life? First of all, the Bible says when you live in envy, it leads to deception, disorder, and debauchery. Deception, disorder, and debauchery. Listen to James 3, 14 through 18. I know I'm just kind of pinging these one at a time, but just bear with me. Okay, James 3, 14 through 18. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So he's connecting jealousy uh, with this inability to understand and discern the truth. It clouds you, clouds your judgment. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Unspiritual, by the way, doesn't mean immaterial. It means it is not under the rule of God. Uh, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Okay, so it's something Paul brings up all the time. Apparently, it was a real issue with Christians in the early church. It was something that he continually was addressing pastorally as a, as a real sin that these uh, believers were struggling with. It also says in the Bible that envy leads to fighting, quarreling, and disunity. Listen to James chapter 4, 1 through 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. That's coveting. So, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. I mean, this is strong language. This is strong language that, that the apostles are using as they're pastoring the church to saying, hey, look out for this stuff. Jealousy, envy, this is bad stuff. It really is harmful. And then just one more in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, uh, Paul says that it is a sign of immaturity, that envy and jealousy is a sign of immaturity. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, sarks, that is, people of worldly thinking, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And then he gives uh, the, the example of what he means by how they're in the flesh. He says, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Uh, pardon me. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? 
and behaving only in a human way. In other words, it is sinful, fleshly behavior to walk in envy and jealousy. Now, I know that's a lot of biblical um, proof texting, but I'm just trying to make one simple point here, and that is that what we're going to talk about this morning matters, okay? It, it, it's a culturally acceptable sin. It's a Christian culturally acceptable. Uh, it's, a, it's a culturally acceptable sin within Christianity, but it is a deadly sin nonetheless. Uh, I don't know why it is that in Christianity we've made such a big deal out of certain sins and so little of other sins, uh, like gluttony. We never talk about it. Um, it. It's just not a big deal in our culture. Unfortunately, it's still listed among things that God has an issue with. Uh, envy is one of those things. Envy is one of those things. And so we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to ask, how do we deal with it? How are we to think about it? Uh, the Bible gives plenty of, of negative examples of envy, by the way. I'm not going to get into all of them, but I'm sure if you sat down and started writing them, you would be amazed um, of, of Cain and Abel and Sarah and Hagar and Rachel and Leah. And, and even surprisingly, our Lord Jesus himself was crucified, according to the words of Pilate, because of the envy and the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. So envy literally was one of the sins that put Christ on the cross. Isn't that incredible? So... What do we do about this problem of envy? Hopefully I've made the case, hopefully I've identified that not only does God not approve of it for his people, but uh, it's highly corrosive. It's really stealing our joy. Uh, I would like to suggest three steps to dealing with your envy. So if you want to jot them down and we'll go through them real quickly and then I'll close with some advice. Okay, here we go. Number one, identify it. Okay, that is to observe and figure out where is envy in your life. Secondly, Dig underneath it, okay? Dig underneath it, and thirdly, redirect it. Okay, identify it. Number two, dig underneath it. Number three, redirect it. First of all, you need to identify it. You need to figure out where is there envy in my life, and am I taking it seriously? Is this something that I actually see as an issue? Have I identified it as sin? Uh, you know, some secular scholars, and I think there's some truth to this, actually determine a difference between malicious, what they call malicious envy and benign envy. Uh, and this matters because I think we need to ask the question, like, what point does envy become sin? Is there an envy that is not sinful? Benign envy they call is, or benign envy they, they define as envy that is not necessarily desiring to be someone else, but seeing something that you appreciate about them and then aspiring to become like that. I think that's a good thing. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't think he's saying, hey, be jealous of me, be envious of me, but he's saying, hey, emulate me. That's, that's fine. But that's not the kind of envy that I'm talking about here. Uh, these these uh, sociologists, they also have the other side of the coin, which is malicious envy. Malicious envy is a very different thing. It's what we as Christians would call sinful envy. Uh, and that is where we look at someone, and it's not just an admiration or an appreciation. It's a, uh, I want what you have. And I don't want you to have it. This is where it becomes sin. Uh, so envy becomes sin when it entertains or allows or acts on uh, the feeling. Okay, so you may not be able to tell, or pardon me, you may not be able to help that you have a moment or an emotion of envy. That's kind of how sin works. Okay, something might prick the emotion of jealousy or prick the emotion of envy. That's not necessarily sin, according to the book of James. It becomes sin when you allow it to become something in your life or your mind, where you act on it, where you entertain it, where you allow it to stay. So when I say envy, I'm talking about 
sustained envy. I'm talking about envy that's been welcomed into your life, where you've taken that that little um, sort of amoral subconscious feeling that just popped up and you said, you know what, I'm going to let that become part of my thinking. That's what we're looking for here. That's what we're trying to watch out for here. How do we identify envy in our lives? Let me suggest a couple things to you here. First of all, Watch out for envy-motivated behavior. Envy-motivated behavior. I'm just going to get really honest. You might not like me after this. You might go, man, I'm going to go to a church with a more mature, less sinful pastor. And that's totally fine. You might be better off. Uh, But I'm just going to get honest, okay? Sometimes I catch myself with uh, very envy-motivated behavior. For example, when I'm driving and someone cuts me off, uh, it's annoying. When someone cuts me off that has a nice car... I get really angry. And for some reason, I always make some kind of a jab, just ask my wife, about the fact that they're driving a nice car. Now, any of you guys that know me know that I drive a not nice car. I drive a very old 1997 Toyota Camry with 230,000 miles on it. And sometimes I'm totally fine with that. Other times I'm a little bit bummed about that. I'm like, why do I have to drive the old car? Why am I the guy driving the beater when everyone else has new cars? And I find myself putting down people that have nice cars sometimes. I find myself making fun of people that have nice cars. And I'm thinking, why am I doing that? And I think the reality is, is I wish I had a nice car. I think that's the reality. Uh, I, I, I sometimes, I'm, again, I'm just going to get real here. Sometimes I find myself making fun or, or poking fun at other leaders or other pastors. And I catch myself doing that. And I say, why am I doing that? And I realize, I wonder if I'm a little jealous of them. I wonder if there's some things in their ministry that I actually kind of wish I had. And because I don't have it, I'm actually poking fun at them. So there is behavior that needs to be sifted. It needs to be examined. It needs to be pressed on. And and a lot of times, I think envy actually is the, the motivator, the engine behind that action. Envy and coveting also consume your mind. So ask yourself, what is it that my mind is consumed with? Is it more? Is it I want something? I want something that I don't have. I want something that someone else has. And I'm just thinking all the time about how to get it. That is, in the words of, the, of, of Solomon in Proverbs, it is sickness to your bones. It's robbing you of your joy. I would also say watch out for comparison. Comparison is the front door to envy. Comparison is where you go from going, wow, that person has something really cool and delighting for them to all of a sudden you look down at yourself and you go, well, I don't have that. They have it and I don't. And that's where comparison instantly goes into envy. And I believe that's where sin enters the mix. So you need to be aware of it. You need to ask good questions of your behavior. This is what a mature Christian does. A mature Christian is not sinless, but we do sin less. And the way that we sin less is that we start noticing our sinful behavior and we start getting underneath it. And that's my next point. How do we deal with envy? We identify it. Number two, we dig underneath it. We need to be those that dig into our soul. Uh, we can't be those that just go, well, you know what? I am who I am and I do what I do and you better just accept me as I am. No, you're a Christian, okay? You are God's vessel and you are to be holy, to see set apart and you are a sinner, okay? Not in your identity anymore, but certainly in your nature. So figure out what's underneath that uh, that, that uh, coveting, that envious um, attitude that's coming out. Now, let me suggest to you Okay, we're going to go deep here and, and we're going we're gonna to point out the fact that envy is not really the problem. Okay, envy is not really the problem. If you're going to dig underneath your envy, you better realize that envy is not the problem. Envy is downstream from two much more serious sins that I think produce envy. Okay, this is important. Tune in. Number one, the first sin that is upstream from envy is idolatry. 
It's idolatry. This was the sin that did in Israel. Israel fell and never could seem to obey Yahweh and worship him because of idolatry. Idolatry and number two, unbelief. These are the two sins that are upstream from envy. Idolatry and unbelief. Let me define these. Idolatry says God is not best for me. God himself is not best for me. There is something that is better for me than God. Unbelief says God does not have the best for me. That's what unbelief says. Idolatry and unbelief are serious sins, but they live under the surface. And oftentimes we go too shallow. We say, I'm, just, I'm experiencing jealousy, envy, covetousness, lust. And we try to whack at that. And what that's doing is that's like cutting the top of a blackberry bush. You ever try to cut out blackberry bushes? You cut them, they come back. What you need is you need some crossbow. You need to kill that sucker, right? You need to get down into the root system. The reality is upstream from envy is idolatry and unbelief. And these are serious sins. They're serious sins. And they're rooted, and listen, this is so important. They're rooted in one very simple thing. And that is a failure to believe the gospel. A failure to believe the gospel. Idolatry and unbelief, both sins, are a failure to believe the gospel. Their failure to believe the gospel. The gospel is the resurrection proof that Jesus, listen, has the greatest and is the greatest good for you. When I walk in idolatry, it's because I'm not believing the gospel. When I walk in idolatry, it's because I'm looking and saying, I think that created thing over there is superior to the one who created it. It's idolatry. When I walk in unbelief, it's saying, you know, I don't think God really has the best intention for me. When you envy when you are jealous, when you are covetous, when you walk in lust, when you are dissatisfied, any of those quintuplets, the reality is in that moment you have failed to believe the gospel. Because if you allowed for, you've allowed yourself for a moment to believe that either God is not enough or God is not good. That's idolatry and unbelief. Those are the two problems. Either God is not enough or God is not truly good. So whatever God gave me, uh, he probably could have given me, should have given me something else. Uh, idolatry is saying, you know what, I actually think the world and the created thing is better than the creator. And that's both really the serious root issue. So when you recognize envy coming out, when you recognize jealousy, I want you to dig underneath it. And I want you to realize that it's probably a result of one of two things. Are you not believing God is good? Or do you believe that something is better than God himself? Envy is acidic. It slowly corrodes your joy by pulling your focus from reality onto non-reality, onto fiction. Okay, what I mean by that is what envy does is it makes you go, you know what, and rather than looking at what God has given me, which is reality, I'm going to look at what God hasn't given me, which is fiction. Believing the gospel undoes that. Because believing the gospel means that your affections are set on the riches of Christ, rather than on the fleeting circumstantial joys and pleasures of this world. Okay, uh, Envy is not only acidic, it's parasitic. What I mean by that is that envy is like, you know what a parasite is? A parasite, it, it lives off of a host. It doesn't give anything, it only takes. And, and that's what covetousness and lust and envy and all these things, they're parasitic. They want to take you, uh, take from you, they never give in return. Envy never gives in return. It only gets you to give in hopes that you might get something back. And that's why idolatry, which is the root of envy, idolatry is so serious in God's eyes. Because he says, I am your God and I want to give you what you need. Idols can't do that. They only take from you. So we're to identify our envy, we're to dig underneath our envy, and then thirdly, I would suggest that we are to redirect our envy. Let me 
put it this way. What if envy isn't all bad? What if envy isn't all bad? What if there's actually a use for it? What if God wanted to use your envy not to lead you to sin, but to lead you to true joy? That's actually what I'd like you to see. It's really interesting. In Romans chapter 11, verse 11, um, Paul says that God is going to use jealousy or envy in order to accomplish ultimate joy for national Israel. This is really interesting. Listen to this. Romans 11, verse 11. He says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. What an interesting idea. See, God, in his eternal providence, decided that he was going to use envy or jealousy, uh, specifically the Jews being jealous of the Gentiles. He was going to use jealousy in the future in order to bring Israel to a place of repentance and restoration. Why is it okay for God to use something like jealousy? And is, does that mean that perhaps there is a redeemable trait in our envy or jealousy or coveting? I would suggest that maybe there is. What makes this different is the object by which Jesus is trying to get them to through the envy. See, what makes envy sinful, what makes jealousy sinful and lust and covetousness and, and dissatisfaction, what, what makes those sinful is that it ultimately drives us to something that cannot satisfy. It's pointless, and God knows that. But what if our envy were to drive us to something that could satisfy? What if, when you experience envy, okay, so you're me, and you're driving in your old aunt, you know, Toyota Camry, and you, you see a really nice $40,000 truck, which everyone seems to have, uh, driving past you, and, and, and you go, you know, man, why do I have to drive the crummy car, and, and everyone else gets to drive the new car? What if you stopped in that moment, and you said, whoa, okay, clearly, I am hungry. Clearly, I have a need. Clearly, something's not satisfied in my soul because I'm envying some dude driving by me in a truck. Or maybe you're a mom and, you know, you're at church that morning and your kid's freaking out and throwing a fit. And you look over and there's, you know, the, the girl that, that you think is prettier than you and, and more together than you. And her kid's just sitting there very quietly and you think, what's wrong with me? I wish I was like her. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there. And go, wait a minute. Something in me is hungry. Something in me wants, something in me needs, something in me seems to want more. You can take that opportunity to remind yourself that the thing that your envy is trying to tell you you want is not really what you want. The thing that your flesh is telling you you're hungry for, it's not really what you're hungry for. What you're really hungry for in that moment is the divine riches of Christ. You're hungry for the gospel. And what if we could stop when our envy comes on, we could stop and we could say, you know what? This hunger is actually not for that thing that my eyes are on. This hunger is actually for him. And now I'm going to turn to him and I'm going to feast on the riches and the goodness of Christ. I'm going to believe the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel to myself. And I'm going to fill my stomach. And this amazing thing will happen. Instead of looking at that other woman and going, I wish I was her, I resent her, or she, what's, why does she have this and I don't have, instead of that you go, wow, praise 
God for that woman. What an amazing thing that God has done in her life. And you know what? I'm so thankful that my kid is throwing a fit right now because it gives me an opportunity to grow and to help them deal with their sin and their emotions. And you know what? I don't need to be like anyone else. I'm content because I'm full. I'm full with the gospel, with the riches of Christ. I don't need anything else. So what I would encourage you to do when you think about your envies, I would encourage you to identify it to get underneath it, see that idolatry and unbelief is really the problem, and then redirect your affections and feast on the riches of Christ. Be full. Use your envy. Just like God's going to use envy to redirect the hearts of Israel to the true riches of Christ, use your envy. Let God use your envy to redirect your affections to the true riches of Christ as well. So, in conclusion, I want to remind you that God's desire for you is that you would be aware of your creaturely needs, you're a creature. You can't be content with what this world has because this world does not cut it. And see, that's why contentment in and of itself is not possible in this world. Contentment is only possible out of this world. Contentment is only possible in the celestial, from the divine, because God is what you really want. Contentment isn't just about not wanting something you don't have. It's about wanting the thing you do have, the thing that you do have in Christ. He wants you to tune into the fact that you are a creature, that you do have needs, and he wants to satisfy those needs. He wants you to be full, but he wants you to be full on him and what he has to offer. Remember that Proverbs 14, 30, a heart, of peace, or a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. God wants you to have a heart at peace, a heart satisfied and stayed on him. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He wants us to be content. As Christians, we must fight the snare uh, of envy and take seriously what so many wink at and embrace or even ignore. We must tend our hearts. Now, I'm going to end just really quickly with five pieces of advice, uh, five practical tips for eliminating envy, okay? Just going to do them really quickly. Number one, speak words of thankfulness. Speak words of thankfulness. Listen to Paul's prayer over the Colossians. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Interesting, the same word that the Proverbs use, the peace in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, these are all vocal things. These are all um, verbal things that he wants you to do. Teaching, admonishing one another, in all wisdom, singing, songs, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word and in deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul's point here is that speak the riches of the gospel. Speak them. It's amazing how we actually believe our own words sometimes. You know, sometimes I'll be um, having an okay day and something will frustrate me and then I speak a word of frustration and it's like I hear my own words and it creates this feedback loop where now I'm more frustrated than I was before. The same thing is true of praise. Speak words of thankfulness and your own ears will hear those words of thankfulness and will create a spiraling effect of joy. Okay, so uh, contentment comes in thankfulness and praise. Open your mouth. Let the words out. Number two, practice rejoicing in the success and the blessing of others. This is just a muscle that you can, you can work out. When you see someone and they're doing well, they have something cool, they have something great, things are working for them, practice rejoicing for them. I'm just so happy for that person. I'm so glad that God has blessed them. God be the glory, right? You know, some of the most happy people that I know in my life are, are people that never say a bad thing about somebody. It's like you can't get them to say something negative. They're always like, well, that's good for them. I'm really happy for them. That, there's such a secret to joy there. Number three, limit 
or eliminate spaces where unrealistic comparison is inevitable. And I think you all know what I'm talking about. There are places that you go probably every day, scrolling through your phone, and it is inevitable that comparison, which leads to envy, which leads to corrosive discontentment, is inevitable. It's gonna happen. When you're flipping through Instagram pages, it's just gonna happen. When you're watching TV, it's just gonna, it's a place of comparison. Advertisement is created to get you to compare. It's, to, it's, got, it's created to create, to create discontent in you. Limit or eliminate spaces where unrealistic comparison is inevitable. If you can't go on social media without getting jealous or envious or, or, or coveting or discontent, just don't go there. Just don't go there. Number four, fill your tank every day and every moment with the unchangeable, non-circumstantial riches of Christ. Get up and read the word of God. Feast on the riches of God. Remind yourself of what you have in him and watch as envy sort of shrivels up and falls. And lastly, build your trust in God's caring and competent character by making reminders of his past grace. You know, as I said earlier, one of the root issues of envy is disbelief. I'm not believing, unbelief. I'm not believing that God is really good. The way that we combat that is that we put reminders into our life of when he was good, of when he had been faithful. You know, God told Israel when they crossed the Jordan River, he said, hey, take stones and put it on the side as a monument. But he also told them to take stones and put it in the middle of the river. And why would he do that? Doesn't the water just cover it right up? He did it because he knew that when there were times of drought, when the water was low, the stones in the middle of the river would be exposed. And Israel would be reminded of God's faithfulness to deliver them over the Jordan River and God's faithfulness to put them in their homeland. And so I would encourage you to build Ebenezer's, build reminders of God's faithfulness in your life so that when envy comes and comparison comes and covetousness comes and lust comes, that you go, you know, I have everything I need. I have everything that God has meant for me to have. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for the gospel and for the riches of Christ, Lord. We pray that you would help us to uh, avoid the corrosive, rotting nature of envy and covetousness and jealousy. Lord, that you would give us the contentment um, and of the full minds and full hearts that have feasted on the riches of, the, of Christ in heaven. Uh, Lord, get, make us a wellspring of life to those around us, Father. Uh, Lord, we love you and we need your help, God, in so many areas, Father. We're so thankful for who you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys.